Morning, everyone. When I got out of my house this morning and saw the snow that had fallen, and I thought, well, that would be a good excuse not to go to chapel. I wonder if anybody will be there. But you're here. <laughs> now, a, a sermon should have a, a worship setting should have a practical tip. So I want to give you a tip on uh, how to get out of exams <laughs> and end of term work, and it's really spiritual. Did you ever notice that how, how the seminary and the college wrecks Christmas and Easter by assignments and exams? So I think you should launch a big protest uh, that, that the seminary is hurting your spiritual life. And, and I'll just tell you, if you don't quote me, I don't know if any of my bosses are here today, uh, Profs will be with you on that protest because we don't really like grading stuff that much. For I'm not a very mystical type, but for some reason I was drawn repeatedly to the text in Luke 9 uh, that says, in the King James Version, which I like, talking about Jesus, it said, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Um, I don't have a, very much time, but I want to tell you five amazing things. Not three, five amazing things about this verse. So it looks like about two minutes per point. Um, the first thing you can think about when Jesus, as Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, is the amazing choice or the amazing decision that this represents. The Son of God decides to set his face toward Jerusalem. That is an amazing decision on his part. Uh, I used to work with a... a professor in Atlantic Canada. He was my boss, and then later when he resigned that position, he was my colleague. And uh, when he was dying with cancer, he gave a sermon series on Easter, and uh, when it, in one of the first sermons he preached, he talked about this decision of Jesus being made in eternity. And his message was on that long road from eternity to Calvary. And so in the middle of his own death, he's thinking about that amazing decision that Jesus made. There's a second thing here that's important. It's not only an amazing decision, an amazing path, but it offers amazing gain. Jesus chose to go to Jerusalem, and by choosing that path, Two things happen. The world gains something. Those who accept Jesus gain something. And it says in Philippians 2 that even Jesus gained something. The world gains something because they're, they're given an opportunity to receive his blessing and his forgiveness. And we receive gain because we have accepted that 
grace that Calvary represents. We don't have to work for our salvation. As some of you know, I'm doing a book on Mormonism. And uh, one of the things that I am so grateful for in the evangelical biblical Christian heritage is an emphasis on salvation by grace. Mormons don't really have that. If you go on the web, you can get a chart done by this uh, this website called Mormon Infographics. They do these incredible graphics. And one of them is the impossible path of salvation in Mormonism. And it shows all the choices you have to make as a Mormon in order to go from pre-existence to the highest heaven. And it's depressing. I always find it depressing when I study religions that are based on law and rules and you, and you have to perform to be saved. And uh, Mormons who've left behind that works-based path to follow the grace of Jesus are liberated. Liberated. So there's the amazing decision that Jesus made. There's the amazing gain. And then thirdly, well, for Jesus, of course, it says, uh, humbling himself, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. You know that... That verse was in my mind when I went to interview the Dalai Lama. I'm standing at the entrance to where he lives in Dharamsala, India, up in the Himalayas. And uh, I'm about to go through security because he's guarded because of the Chinese threat on the, him as the Tibetan spiritual head. And uh, so I, while I'm waiting there, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get a chance to interview the Dalai Lama. And then the verse that came to my mind there is, every knee will bow to Jesus. So I think I was thinking of that, and maybe the Spirit brought it to my mind, so that I remember as I interview the most famous Buddhist in the world, that his knees will bow to Jesus, his tongue will confess one day that Jesus is Lord, just as it will be true for me and you. So there's not only the amazing decision, the amazing gain, there's the amazing triumph uh, that Easter represents. Good Friday is not the end of the story. Um, and then a fourth thing, just briefly. Uh, not only is there amazing decision, gain, and triumph, but the whole thing shows an amazing Savior. An amazing Savior. When I was in my 20s, I had typical doubts about Christianity that, that occupy many of us especially when we move from a sheltered Christian environment into a secular setting university. And, uh, of course, I ask typical questions about, well, how do I know Jesus is the only Savior and he's the truth? You know, what did I know then about religions? So I, Stephen Neal, the famous Anglican, was visiting Acadia University at the time, and I had a chance to meet him. And I remember this just like it was yesterday. I was walking across the campus of, the beautiful campus of Acadia with him. And I asked him, how do you know that Christianity is the truth? What's better about Christianity? And he commented briefly about the good things in some other religions. And then he said, the difference is this. The difference is Jesus Christ. That's what makes the Christian faith preferable. Some of you know I work with 
Gordon Melton, who's one of the greatest religion scholars in the world, he writes practically a book a week. He writes 5,000 words a day in these big scholarly books. One of them's two million words long. How would you like a term paper assignment of two million words? Gordon's probably the greatest person in the world for understanding religions. All over the world, he edited the six-volume Encyclopedia, Religions of the World. His book, uh, Religions in America, profiles 2,300 different groups. So he's been out there, been to every kind of group imaginable, been to hundreds of witchcraft meetings. Here's how it all started. He's a Methodist, but he had cousins who were Jehovah's Witnesses. So he said, I should figure out what they believe. And then he kept going. His Methodist pastor said to him, well, Gordon, I suppose you can go out there and look. And if you find someone better than Jesus, I suppose you better go there. And Gordon's word now at near the end of his career, studying hundreds of groups, is there's no one like Jesus. He is an amazing savior. A lot of people experience the agony of following somebody and then it turns out to be somebody pathetic. The sad thing is that not only breaks people's hearts for the particular agony, but it, but it, it makes it hard for people to trust. Last night in my class I had a guy who was a Buddhist following one of the famous Buddhist gurus of the day, uh, Michael Roach. And he gave his life to this teacher, master, viewed him as a savior figure. And then the guy turned out to be an outright hypocrite and fraud. And so now he lives in the shattered days of, of his depression and his delusion or his uh, sadness over his teacher. So you have an amazing decision by Jesus, an amazing gain, an amazing triumph, an amazing savior. Now that's a lot of good news. So let me tell you a bit of bad news. It's not hard to realize that this sets an amazingly difficult standard because we're called to go to Jerusalem too. And I think the decision to go to Jerusalem means think about what God wants you to do and that's your Jerusalem. Thankfully, for almost all of us, it won't mean something like Calvary. But it won't be a life of total leisure and ease. It won't be the life of the rich and famous. And so we have an amazingly high standard to follow, but one that offers us complete and total and eternal life and happiness. You know, I love telling stories of... Uh, God being with people as they follow their own path to Jerusalem. Let me end just with one. If you, if you want to read a story in detail that will bring you to tears, uh, get your uh, internet to uh, give you the details about Sherry Faye Smith. And let me tell you the, the Jerusalem that she had to follow. It came upon her suddenly. She was kidnapped, hunted down by a serial killer in the 80s, I believe. And uh, this guy caught her, 
took her to a cabin somewhere. And she knew, she knew about him from the news, about his other bad deeds, and she knew she was going to die. So here's Sherry Fay. I think she was 18 at the time. And, and here's her Jerusalem, just, just in, of course, a quick unfolding of the path before her. She knew that she had to think about, imagine this, by the way, she had to think about being a Christian while caught by a serial killer knowing she's going to die. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? wonder what that's like. We have no idea. But he told her in the middle of the night, I'm going to kill you. And I want you to write a last will and testament. What did she do? In spite of the horror of that reality, she kept her faith. And her note to her family reads, Imagine, caught, going to die. This isn't like a happy little story, is it? I love you, Mommy, Daddy, Robert, Don, and Richard, and everyone else, and all other friends and relatives. I'll be with my father now, so please, please don't worry. Just remember my witty personality and great special times we all shared together. Please don't even let this ruin your lives. Just keep living one day at a time for Jesus. You know, it must have helped her then that her master followed a path and she kept the faith and we can learn from her commitment and even more so from the commitment of the Son of God who during that first path to Calvary chose it for us. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this time of year, but it's a tough time. Despite all the wonder and amazement with the path of Jesus, it's a tough, tough story. But we thank you that it ends with incredible good news. And we pray that as we follow our own paths, our own Jerusalems, our own callings, that you'll help us to remember the path that your son chose, the one that Father, Son, and Spirit chose together in eternity. And may that encourage us as we live our life this Easter season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.